You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! I believe in miracles. Where you from? You sexy thing, sexy thing, you. I believe in miracles. Since you came along, you sexy thing. Welcome, everybody, to episode 47 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard S. Greenfield and Walter Pysik. Good morning, gentlemen. It is now 7 a.m. here in Montana. Well, ladies and gentlemen, oh, sorry to interrupt, Brandon, but we do have a miracle in the Light Shed family, (laughs) and that would be Brandon Ross. Finally getting engaged. Congratulations, Brandon. I do believe in miracles. Has Lois asked when the first child will be born? No, Lois, I think, is still in a state of shock because she thought that I, this would never happen for me. Did she tweet um, any or text any emojis? We'll call it a COVID miracle because... <laughs> what type you of were emojis trapped. did she You were trapped no, for too long. Exactly. No, it's true, though. For the first time in however many years, I wasn't on the road every other week and running around and doing something. And I actually um, was able to focus in on someone else. And um, so you're basically blaming us for the fact that you haven't been engaged for the last like decade. (laughs) No, I clearly didn't find the right person. (laughs) And now I did. But um, I think COVID allowed me to slow down and, you know culture and we're foster um, a relationship but um I, d- I haven't even told you guys the actual engagement story and i'm going to share it on the air even though it makes me look like a fucking moron was um, there blood in- is there blood involved or any like dangerous things uh, oh god oh my god <laughs> you did hurt so you hurt yourself oh my god okay go ahead so as as you know i think i told you this much the way it happened is we rented these snowmobiles outside of Yellowstone National Park. And you could go off on your own and go wherever. There's like 500 miles of trails. I'll put yep. that in quote, right? And then I was, I let Jesse lead and I was like kind of going behind her very slowly because I had the ring in my pocket and I was paranoid that I was going to lose it. And I was also paranoid I was going to get hurt or something was going to go wrong. So, you know, we're driving up and I found the spot. I was like, this is perfect. There's a lot of snow. You could see like three different mountain ranges. There's trees. I'm like, this is it. Finally, I did it, which she didn't even believe because she thought that I was, you know, either couldn't commit or was too incompetent to actually get it done. Which is partially true. I mean, historically (laughs) speaking, but okay. Historically speaking, it's true, but I did a good job. I also like... Mind hey, but get back to the accident. Where's the accident? There's no, so I do it 15, 15 minutes um, pass by. We're driving around. I'm feeling good again. I'm going fast. And so we go up this this hill called Two Top Mountain, where at, at the top, you can see four different mountain ranges. I don't know what they are exactly, like one in Idaho, the Tetons, the whatever mountain range I'm in here. And she's like, why are you going up You're, I think we're off the trail. Stop going up. And I'm like, no, it's great. It's fine. And she says, okay, come down, come straight down. And she's following me. And I'm like, no, it's, it'll be boring. Let's make a loop. So I'm driving the snowmobile and she's behind me and we, and I'm looping around and I come to an edge and I look down and it's a, what I'll call very, double black diamond steep pitch and so i'm like shit i should back up so i tried to back up won't work tried to turn to the left won't work so i said yolo i guess i'll just hold the brake and go down this and so (laughs) 
I tipped the thing, I gave it a little gas, and I just start going down this hill really fast. And I'm like, shit, I can't break. And I kill the engine and it won't break. So I had to dive off the snowmobile, which kept going, eventually hit a tree. So the snowmobile was totaled. <laughs> and then I had to climb a mountain back to um to jesse who's standing at the top and basically explain why i'm still worth marrying yeah exactly (laughs) this is literally you're saying this is in uh, within hours or minutes after you get engaged 15 to 20 minutes after so i come back up then we had to get was this did she say is this a test like is this is is this part of the test by the way I mean, one of the reasons our relationship works is, you know, she's so chill and I'm so. Wait, know, wait, wait. I, now I'm, but now I'm upset. Now I'm, no, no, but hold on. But now I'm really upset because I saw the engagement pictures, but I saw no yeah. picture of the snowmobile I, literally wrapped around the tree. <laughs> well, it took them 24 hours to actually find the snowmobile. Um, but thank God okay. I got insurance. That, that's even, a. I'm not even done with this. So we, I was like waving, trying to wave down people because I was afraid that the snowmobile rental company couldn't find me. And someone came off, you know, and came up to get us. And then they hit a tree. And so there so you took out two snowmobiles. So we took out two. And then there were two more snowmobile accidents from people who came up there afterwards. So, so the moral of the story. Snow- so the the moral of the story of all of this is stay on the trail. No, kind of on the trail. The, trail. <laughs> the moral of all the moral of the story is, is also I'm a, I may be like kind of a moron, but the company I rented from told me that they had five major accidents that day, and I said to them, "How do you make money?" And they're like, "Well." obviously insurance and then we have all the spare parts from the from the yeah, snowmobiles from the that, that were broken up before. and then we just rebuild them so <laughs> that's our business model you should be happy some buffalo didn't find you when you didn't have a snowmobile <laughs> and chase you down now that would have been a sight oh my god okay uh i don't even know how it, 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 I, that's totally gotten me off kilter but let's try to let's try to go back let's start let's talk roblox for a second because we've got some big yeah news. that was that was the other big thing um this week <laughs> The other um, big thing, other, <laughs> other than getting engaged and wrecking two fucking snowmobiles and well, at, at least in my life, we put out our big Roblox piece on Monday, <laughs> the <laughs> day after all this happened. And they um, went public via direct listing on Wednesday. We said we thought they would probably um, trade at something like 20 times our 2022 bookings number, which would have been $75 a share. I think it's at what 73 and change right now. We think that there's actually upside to that. And this tweet right here lays out the enterprise valuation for Roblox over time. And I'm going to read the tweet. Roblox went public yesterday by direct listing after eight different funding rounds. They have a current market cap of 40 billion. I think it's like 43 now. And they give the enterprise values here starting in 2005 to 2020. And it's like 2 million, 4 million, 15, 40. Um, in 2017, which is the last time we met with them, I think um, only 500 million. And now, of course, um, at 40 billion, incredible growth. But what Roblox um, did was they really laid the pipings and foundation for uh, a two-sided marketplace where UGC marketplace, where they gave tools to developers. That Brandon, are, I watched you. I watched you on CNBC. And I think the, what's uh, so interesting about this is that everyone still talks about this as a gaming company. Like they're literally trying right. to bucket this in the world of gaming as much as you try to reshape it to interactive media. And I feel like that's the, that's the piece that everyone is still missing. Even at today's valuation yeah. is like what yeah, this, this could is, be. This is not one single game. It's it's a platform that it has, you know, thousands and thousands of experiences on it, it digital experiences that are really more akin to hanging out. Um, the games that are on it are more invest in express games, kind of like we saw with like Farmville and Zynga, only highly social ones. And you have kids who are chatting inside it, who are meeting there to spend time together, to develop their avatar, self-express. Um, 
And I think that over time, we're going to be spending a lot more time in 3D uh, virtual space as there's more stuff to do. And Roblox is going to be one of the category definers there, especially as they build bigger and better tools to enable creation. You know how they showed the going to Rome in the, you know, in the Alice Day video? All I can think about right now is maybe you should have snowmobiled inside of a Roblox world. It would have been a lot safer. (laughs) (laughs) Probably had a virtual Uh, engagement. You're virtual. Yeah. So, uh, Walt, you found this one. You're the Philly guy. Why don't you explain what we're looking at? Um, well, this is a poll run by the WIP morning show. Um, is that a famous show in Philly? Uh, Angelo Cataldi's The Morning uh, Show. Everyone knows Angelo. Come on, Ange. Hey, so how much sports did you watch during the <laughs> pandemic year is the, que- is the question. More, same, or less? And, and the um, Rich apparently voted for less. And that was 49% of the votes were that people watched less sports during the pandemic year. I admit that I did vote the same. Um, it was less versus same Um and more, which actually got the least amount of this vote, 18% versus 49% of people that voted uh, that yeah, they watched sports less. They were playing Roblox. It is fascinating, though. Like, I, I hear you, Brandon, that like that interactivity increased. But again, you're stuck at home. You would think you would engage with the 100%. sports that were, that were there. It's just a fascinating... I want to put like a why tweet under there. I guess I'll maybe next week we'll play some clips from Angelo's show where they discuss it. Don't you remember? I wrote like pages and pages on this. I know. And um, I'm still fascinated by the concept though. It's just, yeah. Well, actually how about it's it's even bigger than just sports though. Like TV viewership was down hard. We're all sitting at home, nothing to do. And everyone watched a lot less linear TV. But it, it, I think there was a deceleration in, in total linear viewing declines, right? Mostly because of news. If you remember CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, because of the election, COVID, everything popped. I think that you'll probably see that reverse itself now as we all, you know, have our shots, head out, go see like cool shows. Get fans in the stadium, make it more electric. Well, what's what's interesting is well, just again, if we're trying to bookend that comment that or the poll that Walt just read, yeah. this is Ben Mullen from the Wall Street Journal, who has a tweet saying ESPN's paying roughly two point eight billion for TV and digital rights to the NHL games over the next seven years. So four hundred million dollars a year. Part of it's for ESPN, the network, yeah. part of it's so for ESPN plus. Four hundred million in year four. And I think that the total NHL rights right now are probably in the two hundred and sixty million dollar range this season. Um, so if it's just and there's, an, package, and there's and there's another package to be sold. It's decent growth. Um, it's it's not mind blowing. But yeah, if you add the other package in, which presumably will be NBC, you start to get big to big numbers, which also indicates that we fucked up because in our top 21 for 21, we thought that these, um, these rights deals would disappoint, especially as the uh, NFL took up so much powder from NBC and Fox. I guess we kind of forgot about ESPN's move. Well, but, but, so, so, but let's step back. Subscribers are collapsing on everywhere you look. Everyone's talking about it. I mean, DirecTV is going to be owned by private equity. Dish is focused on Spectrum. Comcast is talking 2 million sub losses. So subs are going straight down. Advertising's moving away from linear. Ratings are terrible, as Walt just showed in that poll. How do you pay? I mean, you're stepping up big on NFL, and now you're stepping up big on NHL. There seems to be like a mathematical equation that doesn't balance. Um, There is a, a way. There's two ways to make the equation work. Right. One of them is just to have a much shittier business with much lower margins. Right. And the other to try and get affiliate fees um, and retrans up a shit ton and hope that there's a certain amount of people who aren't going to churn no matter what the price is. 
So it becomes an elasticity issue. And we'll see what happens um, as the next round of negotiations start. Is Fox going to go out there and seek a mega step up? Is ESPN going to go out there and seek a mega step up? Or does ESPN think they could just transition the business seamlessly into digital and own sports rights? And this is an investment. But um, I want to stop you there. What's what's interesting and look. I don't know what's in this contract, meaning I don't know, can they move every single one of these rights over to digital over time? That's not clear. But what we certainly do know is that most of the high quality content here is airing on linear TV, whether it's on, you know, whether it's on ESPN or whether it's on some of the games are going to be on ABC. ABC. Oh, you're talking about the playoffs and. and Yeah, the big all the big stuff is is airing on linear, you know, the stuff that it gets real ratings. The the ratings for for regular season games are paltry on, on national TV. Well, that's what I'm getting at. So you've basically got content that isn't that compelling during the regular season. And all the stuff that really matters, that would really juice ESPN Plus and really get people excited, isn't on ESPN Plus. And like, so it still seems like this is a bet on the future of linear TV. Again, it could just be about, you know, um, or you know, rich. Uh, let's think about subscription economics, right, in general. And let, let's go to the digital. What what is the way to build a subscriber base by having passionate fans? Yep. So and the hockey fan may be small, but they're super passionate. So if every hockey fan feels like they need to subscribe to ESPN plus, maybe that is a way to really, um, juice, uh, ESPN plus subs, which is also attached to Disney plus and Hulu and sort of make everything move together. So maybe it's a strategic bet in that regard and a willing overpay, especially since right now it seems like investors are giving ES or Disney in general the the uh, rope to do whatever the fuck yeah, they look, want. Everything's, re- everything's relative. I mean, look, look at what AT&T or really, frankly, DirecTV before them that, that got tied into the Sunday ticket contract. That was a obviously a materially larger number. They're getting more material, you know, more of those rabid fans. But it's 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 just a matter of scale. Like, why not pick off whatever the number is, a million or two for X dollars? Just like presumably, it you know, NBC is getting with their EPL fans, where they're paying up for yep. the two to three million EPL fans that are really into or, w- or WWE, right? Sure. Which had domestically one point six million subscribers. It's building these subscription service through by assembling passionate niches. Well, look, I think we have to give Brandon some credit. He basically, when he, when, we, when the WWE to Peacock happened, he said, this won't be the last company that folds their over the top streaming service. And if you look at the NHL, they're basically folding their out of market package and putting it into ESPN plus. And so sort of this trend of getting out of small streaming services, especially for sports leagues, and I put WWE in that category, seems like it's just beginning. And I'm a, I assume we're going to see a lot more of this over the next few years. This seems like a template that others are going to follow. Now, Rich, you've been telling people that I subscribe to Peacock because of EPL, but let's, I just want to clarify it's one like, point. Is, 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 is that Peacock. not true? Is that not true? Well, I'm, I'm paying, I, it, I, I could have gotten EPL with whatever I was paying before, but what I'm really paying the premium for is to not watch commercials door during Downton Abbey. That's right. A lot of head oh shaking. Well, while we're self owning right on this on this podcast, I figured. Who's your you know. favorite character in Downton Abbey? Well, um, I actually have watched some of it. I'm going to admit that. I'm just going to assume that you guys don't want me to pronounce it on air. No, I, no, I like all. I think all the characters, <laughs> even the ones that are kind it was of like the grandma that I I think was good. Yeah, she's the best. I mean, she's a yeah. phenomenal actress. That's yeah. true. And but I kind of like, I just like the whole cast. Sharp, right? Yeah. yeah Is but, it a great ensemble cast? Well, it's a good ensemble cast. There's, I think they all <laughs> act pretty well, but it's, you know, it takes a lot of focus to watch. I have to say, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like background content, like some of the other stuff. Like I could put Larry David on and like <laughs> laugh my ass off on curb, but like, it's still kind of background. I, I can still look at my phone. Be- I don't think it's supposed to be a mind bending high concentration level show. For me, it is. <laughs> There's a lot of different things going on there. 
you know, I'm, I'm, we started to call my agent. That's high level of concentration because they're actually it's not dubbed. You have to read the subtitles and it's like now four seasons. So that's the one I'm on now. Rich loves to flex that he watches shows with subtitles. <laughs> okay, now we're moving on. Walt, subtitles on for everything. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Walt, go to Billy Ho. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> so Bill. I think it's just Bill Ho, 888. Hey, Billy Ho. <laughs> Um, wherever Bill you Ho, are, a telecom analyst on you. Twitter, okay. is, is said, this is quite the quote, quoting um, basically what's something that Verizon said at their analyst day, um, talking about Legato. And Legato, we've talked about on this podcast before, has what we think is the uplink spectrum that would help to speed Verizon's um, network, and they don't have to densify. Um, he's, this guy um, from Verizon, Adam Kopp, said... They've been peddling that asset for quite some time and nobody has pursued it, which speaks for itself. Um, so the bigger picture here, though, is that there's two very different network strategies that T-Mobile and, and Verizon are executing. Verizon went out and said, like, we bought this higher band spectrum. And regardless of what physics say or any engineers say, that we don't need to densify or add cell sites. We don't need uplink spectrum. And T-Mobile is like hazing them during their investor day saying like, that's crazy. Of course you need to densify Neville Ray from T-Mobile. Hold on. D D Neville Ray from T-Mobile said like, yeah, we're going to actually use uplink spectrum to make our 2.5 work. Of course they need to get uplink spectrum for C-band. So you've got two very different, I think, network strategies. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. You know, you've been covering whatever wireless now for 25 plus years. Have we ever seen sort of a discrepancy in kind of views of technology this wide between major players? Not in terms of network design, but in terms of technology choice, meaning that years ago, um, you know, Verizon and Sprint embraced CDMA, which was a U.S. Qualcomm-based technology. So you yeah. remember the CDMA versus I didn't know TDMA? This. I'm, I'm so happy yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like, like a, was the other GSM? GSM, but they referenced it as TDMA, but it's the same concept. Okay. Yes, it was yes. it was sexier to say CDMA versus TDMA, but like so, there was that that difference. Um, and look, ultimately, I guess TDMA kind of won, but look, Verizon and Sprint did well with with CDMA. But but this is a literally an architectural difference. What Verizon would argue is like, hey, T-Mobile, you're not you're not owning any fiber, you're not investing fiber, so we're always going to have better margins than you. We're ultimately we're going to offer a better service. So I just it's just amazing that. They're, you know, they don't use the exact same vendors, but like it's the same shit, right? But they're they're choosing very different ways to approach the market. Um, so we'll we'll have to see how that plays out. And like the tie-in here is um, you know, in, in terms of of revenue growth, which I think I think we'll get to later in terms of you know, adding Netflix and offering 5G and like how do you even grow revenue in what is a mature business? But we'll hold off on that for a little later. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the other part of, you know, we've got an AT&T analyst day today. They sort of before the, the analyst day, they announced that they think that HBO, HBO Max, they always put the two together because I, God knows when it just condenses to one service. I feel like we're going to be talking about this still for years. But the two together, they're saying are going to have 67 to 70 million subs by year end. The starting point is 61 million. I think the big news that certainly has the market of interest is they're saying in five years, so by the end of 2025, they expect to have 120 to 150 million subscribers. That's obviously a very big number. Uh, we have no sense of what the ARPU looks like and how much of that is, you know, you look, think about Disney Plus, a big chunk of it is in India, sort of no ARPU. But yep. you know, if, you, if you think about the numbers, obviously it's a big, that 120 to 150 is obviously a very big number when you think about the total scale Disney Plus. Uh, I think we actually have it um, in one of the slides here. You know, Disney Plus just got to 100 million subscribers this week. I mean, that was sort of the big news 16 months after launch. And so certainly HBO talking about numbers like that is exciting. The only thing that sort of sticks out at me is if they're already at 61 million globally. And they're doing a big launch internationally middle of this year. And all of these huge movies that, I mean, I've got the Schneider cut behind me that's coming out next week. Um, I'm just surprised that the 67 to 70 this year isn't more like 75 to 80. I mean, it just feels, maybe they're just sandbagging. Well, like it's, a it's, it's, it's guidance, first of uh, all. Second of all, I want to make one point. 
the ARPU on this on HBO right now, the 41 million domestic subs that they have is at a $15 ARPU. And you compare that to Disney, right? Which is, right. I, I don't, their global ARPU, I don't even remember well, what it is. Global ARPU is like four and a half dollars, literally four and a half dollars. Like I'm not literally. kidding. Yeah. When you're looking at that hundred million, you're looking at four dollars of ARPU. That's so, right. Or or power or Paramount Plus, you know, or Discovery. All those numbers that have been thrown out there are at a much much lower ARPU. So this thing is generating a lot more revenue. So just yeah. want to point that out that that difference. I don't understand why people don't care about that. I mean, it's sort of start startling to me that like ARPU revenues, profitability really matters. There's no way. I mean, people keep saying, oh, Disney at $4 and $5 domestically. They'll scale this up. They're starting to raise price in March, obviously, for the first well, time they're raising it by a dollar. Rich, there's glass half full and glass half empty ways to look at numbers, right? And when you're in a bull market, you always look at the glass half full way. And in this, what that means here is, oh, there's only a four and a half dollar ARPU. Look at where HBO is, 15. There's room to run. Look at that growth that's coming. I think that's, you know, that's part of it. Yeah, look, it's just, you know, I understand the sort of, hey, where could it go over time? It's just like, this is a big fat ARPU. People really, I mean, the fact that you have this many subscribers, I mean, HBO is bigger than Hulu in the US. I mean, it has more subs than Hulu at a bigger ARPU than Hulu. And yet I think people sort of see Hulu as this massive thing and they don't look at HBO as this massive thing. Like there's just this disconnect in terms of like how well they've done. And I know there's HBO legacy versus the new that's HBO what I was Max. Saying. I think that's a lot of people are ascribing, you know, the legacy right. HBO to that. So that's part of it. And they haven't fully transitioned into an over-the-top streaming service. Sorry, Walt. What That's okay. I just wanted to tie this now into what's happening to wireless operators because, again, we've had these three investor days and a key focus of how wireless operators, which are in a mature market, are hoping to deliver what ends up being low single-digit growth. Even T-Mobile, they're 4% growth compared to like Verizon, similar growth. They want to get you, the wireless customer, to upgrade to higher rate plans why? Because yes, in Verizon's case, they're going to say, you know, get it for the 5G. I don't think T-Mobile or AT&T are going to do that, but they're going to say, you know, get your HBO Max, get your Disney Plus, and in T-Mobile's case, get your Netflix. So, so there's, a, there's a significant incentive for the wireless operators to push U.S. customers into these wireless bundles over the next three years just to hit service revenue target gross of, of just three or three or four percent. So we'll, we'll see also how that kind of plays into at least the U.S. numbers for the, for these services. It's just sort of amazing, right, how all of these wireless companies have now turned to streaming video as sort of like the the carrot they dangle in front of everybody. And, you know, they, they each have some pretty compelling offers. I mean, when you look at it, right, HBO Max for free or Netflix for free or Discovery and Disney Plus for free. I mean, it, it, they're all so good. I wonder, like, I wonder whether a c consumer really chooses one because it comes with one of these services versus another now, or now it's just sort of ex expected that you get something for free when you sign up for a wireless service. It's, is that the differentiating point now, Walt, in consumers' minds? Like, get, take us into uh, the it, consumer it, psychology behind. I don't. I don't what, even know if it's choosing wireless providers. Right. So, so look, they, everyone pitches. Oh, all the bundling always helps churn. And my favorite right. one to, to dog is is cable that it you know bundling helps churn a number that they don't actually report. So they would argue that oh, it, it helps churn. But I think it's really more about getting existing customers to pay them more money so they can show revenue. Now that incremental revenue comes with a cost because T-Mobile's paying Netflix and, and Verizon's paying Disney. You know, AT&T is paying a content owner. Maybe that's an advantage over time. So there's there, the, the incremental margin on that revenue is, is not necessarily great, but it's nice to show shareholders that you're growing this like service revenue line, you know, two or 3%, like it, right? It, it, it all goes back to this, like, what are the key KPIs in investing, right? And Correct. in traditional media now, it's showing any kind of subgrowth. You're talking about it being what server, 
service revenue, right? Yeah. Well, um, for the wireless providers and whatever you have to do to jack that KPI is is where the focus so, is. So and just think way, about so, this. Rich, hold on. Verizon didn't even hide the fact that this is what they're doing, right? That you know they talked about fucking going after broadband customers and, and stuff like that in terms of incremental revenue growth. But that's look, broadband is a small opportunity relative to to larger wireless. So they talk about this stuff. No analyst or anyone asked about like, okay, what's the deal with the Netflix relationship? Is it exclusive? What if what if AT&T rips that from you or Verizon rips that from you? Then what do you do? Or, or same thing with Verizon. Like, you know, what are what are other additional services? You know, Brandon, I think, um, talked a lot about gaming type services that the wireless operators can yeah. have. So what other things do you have to continue to layer on in terms of costs in order to show that 3%, 4% revenue growth? Fuck, and it just becomes a race to margin compression. That's it. Sure. And by the way, they've got a lot of margin to give because you're talking about companies with 50 to 60% EBITDA Aren't these margin companies supposed fat. to be? It's, I mean, now you have a real oligopoly, right? You have three wireless providers. Shouldn't they act in a rational manner? I mean, right. technically, this is I, I, because yeah, rather than maybe, trying to cut price to go after each other, the, right? This is the, an the easier way to do companies, it. The cable companies coming in, they need more differentiation. I mean, if you're if you want to, uh, if you're Verizon, you have sixty percent EBITDA margins, right? I remember right. like five, ten years ago, people play. <laughs> these are like better than China mobile margins, and right. so it's easier to give up a couple hundred basis points of margin sure. than it is to cut price on those hundred million customers to try and like battle over a couple hundred Got thousand it. subs. Right. Got so it it's totally. basically is acting like an oligopoly and you're right okay. to your point, Brandon, maybe cable and dish change that in 2022. Although I think Comcast says they want to be more aggressive this year. We'll see how that actually goes. So our friends at streamable, I got to give them a hat tip on this. They found this screenshot. Uh, which appears to be Netflix really for the first time sort of aggressively checking out or pushing back on password sharing. I'm assuming this is, you know, I'm assuming they're basically targeting people that are clearly not in the main household through IP address of like what is using the account and probably people that are using a tremendous amount of, of content outside of the house. Because let me just read the slide. It says, start your own Netflix for free today. If you don't live with the owner of this account, you need to own you need your own account to keep watching. Join free for 30 days. And then it says, if this is your account, we'll send you an email, a text, um, or verify later. I'm not sure what verify later actually means because I don't have access to the screen. But my, the, I guess the, the question we were getting from investors was, is this a sign of strength or sign of weakness? Like, meaning, is it? Dude, it this has been, a le I mean, We've all been waiting for this lever to be pulled. We know how much password sharing occurs. I can't tell you how many people are on my Netflix account. It was a matter of time. And I think Netflix must feel comfortable now that they are a utility that nobody can live without, such that the when they do the math, there's not going to be very much churn from taking this away. And they're going to unlock a ton of gross ads. And people still feel good about Netflix. It's it's yeah. probably not going to be brand damaging. So I I think this is reaching that next step that was inevitable in the evolution of Netflix, at least in the United States. I think but it also helps. Right. They are pretty probably pretty tapped out as far as the current setup is concerned um, with all the password sharing. Well, they're, they're over occurs. 70, even with password sharing. I mean, it's funny. That's what I'm so, saying. There's like, 120 million broadband homes. Uh, sorry, broadband television homes in the U.S. and what, 90 million broadband homes? And they're so, at 70. And they're, they're at, at 70, 70 subs. So yeah. like to close that gap of 20, let's just say it grows to 100. To get to the, the last 20 to 30 million subscribers in the U.S., it feels like password sharing actually is a critical element yep. of this to, to close that gap. It's just another version of of price increase, right? Obviously, <laughs> I mean, they could just charge more for more simul simul streams, but now sure. they're making it harder for you to do that. So I didn't even realize what this in the T's and C's. Like, so a member of my like my my kids at college, you can't use my Netflix based on the T's and C's. No, because you'll get a text message. It'll generate a text message to you. You'll say yes, that's fine. 
this is ba- and look, you could do it with a friend too, but my guess is it's just simply to cut down on it. It's probably less about cutting down on your kids than think about it. Brandon gives his username and password to somebody to log in. That person then sends it to three other people. They send it like I think it's just yeah, cutting but, down but, on the but that doesn't work if everyone is on it at the same time, right? Because they only that's true. Only only like four or five. Right. And I, I always thought that that's how they would deal with this. Like, who gives a shit how much you share your password? That's how they it's said they were going to. Right. So this is just turning that knob a little bit. Yes. A exactly. little bit more. I think you just nailed right. it. So in it, some ways, is... I guess you could argue that it's like penetration, but it's like, it's really just a price increase. But right? let, Well, let me tell you something. Everyone, the bear thesis on Netflix has been with all this streaming competition coming in, they're not going to be able to raise prices and do things that are going to oh, benefit right. the top oh, line because silly. everyone is going to churn. And now they're telling you, okay, you know what? We can effectively raise yeah. price even yeah. more in addition to the price increase that we're taking. So it shows that they're pretty confident despite increased competition. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk a little um, New York Knicks world with MSG, Brandon. What's going on here? All right. This is from the street. We have no idea whether this is true, but they say MSG Networks, MSGN, and MSG Entertainment, MSGE, might again become one company. And I think this was, and it says near MSG Networks and MSG Entertainment might uh, again become one company, a media report says. I guess there were no additional details. I don't know why I read that, but... It's the idea is MSG, the Dolans want MSG networks to remerge with MSG entertainment. And I have no idea whether this is true. I think the unnamed sources, they said it's early, speculative, all this crap. So who knows? From a Dolan perspective, though, I actually think for them, it makes sense. Because the reason they spun out MSG networks was to sell it. And guess what? Nobody wants to buy it. It's a shitty business, but it's wait, wait, wait. you're saying somebody doesn't want to someone doesn't want to buy an RSN that charges nine dollars per sub per month to watch <laughs> bad teams play. Knicks are better this year. And by the way, the I think first, but yeah, I think they have maybe the best record in hockey. New York Islanders are on MSG, but no one cares about that. How would this combination impact the Knicks, Brandon? Will they actually get better? Um, no, the Knicks are in MSG Sports, a separate one. But again, oh, from oh a, well. but getting back to it from a Dolan perspective, if you take MSG Networks and the free cash flow that's there, it gives you a lot of optionality at entertainment. One is you can lever you could lever it more. Um, two is you could harvest that free cash flow and it gives you maybe the option to take entertainment private number one which is always something we suspected that the dolans might want to do or number two if they actually have plans for additional spheres it gives you a financing vehicle for that and it's better than just buying back stock or paying but, but, but bottom line here but, you're, you're skeptical from you're a, skeptical i'm a little skeptical but from a shareholder perspective, if you're an MSGE shareholder and you're betting on the future of live entertainment, and that's the theme you're investing on, do you want a fucking RSN oh mashed God. in to your company? You go. Right? I, you, I, you literally, you literally would sell every share. Like you would literally be apoplectic. Apoplectic. Oh, you know what, Rich? Th- that's your word, and it's a word that I use last night in describing this i msge shareholders would probably be apoplectic unless they were like look we have this roadmap of 10 venues that we're going to build and here they are and it's after msg the first sphere works and then everyone's like okay this makes sense like take the free cash flow otherwise i think there may be uh you know i'm skeptical okay let's move on roku uh, Roku continuing to basically become Quibi. No, no, no. It, just in terms of they seem to be hiring lots of Quibi executives after basically acquiring Quibi content. Um, they hired the former comedy chief of Quibi, uh, who actually developed a lot of the comedy stuff for Turner. You know, I think TBS over the years has joined as um, a sort of a programming head over at Roku. And Roku also essentially acquired a film called Cypher uh, for the Roku channel. 
just, you know, after the Quibi deal, more and more signs. There was a comment in Roku's fourth quarter press release. Every They just raised a billion dollars. Um, it sort of just all signs sort of point to Roku step-by-step building their own exclusive programming. And we actually listened to, I think I was listening to Albert Chang, who is COO of Amazon Studios uh, at IAB this week. And he was talking about how for IMDb TV, the worst named um, video service, but IMDb TV is, is ramping up their original production. And so we're seeing these, these AVOD or fast, whatever you want to call them. (laughs) Yeah. They're starting to create original programming for these services. And so you're going to (laughs) see, you know, we've gone from, we're talking about streaming wars. We always talk about sort of Netflix versus HBO max. Now we're starting to see streaming wars play out with kind of a battle for content on the ad supported services I don't think investors are really paying attention to how serious Roku is. And I think as Amazon gets aggressive here, it's going to push Roku to be that much more aggressive. And it's just something to think about. It could be a very good long-term move uh, in differentiating, but I don't think investors are paying attention to sort of how serious they are in original content. Good so, to be a third-party content creator right now. Uh, well, what 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 type of content with an, with an INDB, whatever they letters are what kind of would they pay for invest in just curious well it's not going to be game of thrones no, no i understand but, but just generally like scripted content yeah you're going to see scripted content so like, just when, lower when you talk to lower people cost. on amazon or like when you talk about these you know the the content people the ones that want to work for amazon or apple or netflix there's like a cachet to working for those companies so it's the dollars but it's also like yeah dude, it's it's great working for amazon does IMBD also bring that cachet? And if they don't, doesn't that just mean that they're going to have to pay out more cash because they don't have the same cachet? Look, for- I always go back to the meeting. Brandon and I had a, at a dinner with investors with Jerry Bruckheimer. And we asked him point blank, um, would you produce for XYZ? I forget which streaming service at the time we were talking about. But we were just like throwing out different names. <laughs> and, there was, and the response was very simple over dinner. I think we had a nice glass of wine in our hands. It was oh. if the che- if the check was setting the scene. Cabernet? No, no, it was like was it, it was a like, shard. It probably was. No, no, it probably was a nice red wine. We were sitting up oh. at Bouchon, uh, oh, which Bouchon. doesn't exist anymore in L.A. And I remember him literally I mean, saying, crazy, if, 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 if the check right clears, now? if the check clears. So, uh, look, by the, I think, by the way, Mark um, threw in apparently Albert named um, a couple of unscripted projects for imdb one is michael jordan's dad's doc and the second is the Bronny james show so it sounds like maybe they're going to get the ball rolling on the unscripted side before they get to scripted for imdb i prefer to see all my Bronny james content on tiktok or wherever oh, else it's posted by our, that, our good that friends over, at overtime that overtime, that overtime. Yes. please uh, Overtime send us some merchandise for that show. Apparel. They call it apparel, not apparel, merch. whatever the fuck. Yeah. Brandon, this is um, tipping for Twitter spaces. And so this is Jane Manchant Wong tweeting out um, Twitter's working on a tip jar in Twitter spaces, letting you enter your username on Bandcamp, Cash App, Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, allowing people to tip you directly. And Sarah Fisher's got a tweet Facebook expands their fan payment. Subscription options to appeal to creators comes two weeks after Twitter announces super follows, um, basically allowing you to basically buy stars. And so you can tip people on Facebook. And so just I guess just the the idea that more and more ways of generating revenue away from advertising and subscription and looking for sort of how do you kind of play into this creator economy for both? Now, the platforms are battling for creators right now. I think that's that's the, that's the that's the key takeaway for sure. That that's the key takeaway number one and number two. If you want to like kind of look through Twitter Spaces tip jar, now you know some of the playbook probably for revenue at Clubhouse, which is this is the first time we haven't discussed it in a while. Um, is there? But overall, everyone's realizing finally the importance of getting creators paid and the vital role that they um, take on their platform. And and boom, it's it's all snowballing. So just to be clear, the snowmobile accident had nothing to do with listening to Clubhouse while you were driving no, the snowmobile. I, I actually haven't. I don't. There's think a lot less chatter on Twitter about Clubhouse. I know. I was I was going to say I haven't listened to Clubhouse at all this week. Actually, I did once. Um, Kevin Mayer 
was on with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Tom Staggs oh, talking wow. about That's a good one. Um, what we SPACs and financing vehicles. And I listened to 15 or so minutes of it, and it was very good. But other than that, I haven't listened much this week. It's always it's, good when professional interviewers are on are on club. Oh yeah, it was good. It makes a big difference. We need, we need Twitter needs to ramp up their spaces though, Rich. And the spaces that I've seen are pretty. I, I follow an account. I forget the name of it, but it alerts me to any Twitter spaces that's that's out there. So you don't have to actually be following it, and it doesn't really do that much. They need to start enabling more people. Let's go. Uh, they said everyone, I, I didn't put it in here, but I believe everyone worldwide by the end of April will have access to Twitter spaces. Not They're going enough. global. Not soon enough. It's it's rolling out at the same pace as the vaccines. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, the vaccines are accelerating. What are you talking Exa- about? No, exactly. So oh. at, at the end of April, everyone in the U.S. who wants a shot. Let's go, Kayvon. Get on it. Okay. <laughs> Brandon, Sarah Needleman, when do you go? Sarah Needleman, Discord nearly tripled its revenue last year solely by selling subscription access to exclusive perks for users. And um, her latest feature there, I guess she uh, she she tells us about, uh, you can't see, if you're not listening, you can't see the rise of monthly visits in Discord. But I'll just say they have... Um, I think 140 million users now, and they're telling you that they're going to monetize through subscription, not through advertising, which we think makes sense. And I think those subscriptions are, you could get different emojis and stuff for the text and even um, video portions of Discord, and you get higher um, resolution picture on on your video chats so what, what excites I, me about discord though is sort of this idea that like reminds me of when evan spiegel was become, talking utility yeah, it's that yeah, utility it's, aspect it's, it's become it went from being a communication service for gamers and this is a theme the gaming world exerting more and more influence um over every everybody right that's a that's a thing that we've seen in um COVID and people are doing a lot more than just gaming with it. There's classes that are taking place, any kind of um, niche club. Um, people are getting discord servers. There's yeah, as part of Patreon, there's even creators who part of your subscription is you get access to their discord. So yeah, discord is becoming a real utility, as you said. So we've got um, two last tweets at tied to the reopening. Let's do the first one, which is sort of we all remember basically a year ago what was happening when Disneyland shut down in California. We Disney World's been open obviously since last summer, but we're finally going to get the opening of Disneyland. It'll be very you know limited. It'll certainly be scaled back. But by you know to Brandon to your point on vaccine accelerating. Disneyland's going to start opening up by the end of April. This is obviously good news for Disney. They've been waiting to open this park. It'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see sort of, you know, how attendance comes back. Obviously, California or Florida has done amazingly well, um, ramping up pretty quickly from an attendance standpoint. Um, it's sort of just nice to see a year later. It's nice to see the world finally getting back to, you know, somewhat normal uh, from a from an activity standpoint. But the 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 last slide, which is I think the to me makes tweet of the week. I want Brandon to read it because I want him to hold it, try to hold a straight face as he reads it. I don't even know if I know what the slide is. Okay, this is you're going to read this. This isn't a Brandon troll. Let's no, no, no. This is good. Okay, Lucas Shaw. AMC says its customers are more eager to go back to theaters than to see friends eat out, go to a concert, or go to a sporting event. I would like to see the details of this study. Uh, I'm just going to say challenge. Maybe <laughs> it's among among those who went to 30 plus movies per year. <laughs> like, where's uh, the uh, fine print? Well, hold on. I just want you to know that this is the same CEO that said that he is better off with Warner Brothers giving him a better split on movies, even though they're putting movies out day and date on HBO Max. And like so and the Wall Street Journal wrote that up as like breaking news in their herd on the street. And I look at it and I go, nothing out of this guy's mouth 
should be believed because it literally is just complete fantasy land. I wouldn't say nothing, but very little. You would say that maybe there's some questions that should be asked. I wouldn't say nothing, but maybe not nothing, but a uh, you would put a manipulation. Correct. In there. A a little bit of Of putting the best foot forward. Yeah. Making facts malleable. Facts just tell them what we want them to. I think is how the talking heads say it. Um, so we've we've got a bunch of analyst days. We've got the last one of the week, Walt. This has sort of been, uh, it's sort of crazy how many companies have done analyst days. And they're all sort of, I mean, I know you've sort of gotten increasingly sort of upset that all of these analyst days sort of feel sort of so kind of formatted versus what a normal analyst day feels like. Um, most of them have been pre-recorded from what I can tell. Yeah, there's been some pre-recordings. That's, that's true. It's, that's. Whatever. This is the life that we live as analysts to, to get through some of these events. It's, it's been obviously pretty exhausting. Yeah, it's been shitty. The What's last really sad days. for me, though, Rich, is I don't have a WandaVision to look forward to at the end of my day today. I'm hoping that, I don't know, what, I think the next Disney, um, the next Marvel series, I think, starts in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll go back to the theater for a big Avengers movie. I don't even know when that's going to happen, though. Maybe you know the, the release schedule. Are we getting any, I believe, any Marvel I, I believe we're getting Marvel in, well, I, I believe you're going to get a series in May. And then look, the big question, because I think Falcon and Winter Soldier, I believe is May. But the big question is what is happening with Black Widow? I mean, it's a little hard, even with reopening and COVID. I mean, you listened to Biden last night. It's a little hard to believe they're only going to put Black Widow out in theaters. I mean, we'll see, but I'm just skeptical. Chapek says that they uh, will remain flexible. By the way, the one thing we didn't talk about, which I think we'll just roll to next week because we need to wrap this up, is how T-Mobile and Verizon and AT&T, well, T-Mobile and Verizon think that they can go after the broadband market with wireless. T-Mobile saying 8 million homes in, in five years, which seems... Um, well, if it's true, the cable companies are shorts, right? I mean, that's going to be cable very Cable companies did not react negatively after that statement was made during market hours. Um, so I guess that kind of speaks for itself. And Verizon still hasn't given out <laughs> any broadband sub-numbers. And T's going about it the fiber route, saying that they're going to pass a couple more households. Just remind me, when when did that first Verizon press release come out? It was two out? years ago, Rich. That, two um, years. Two years ago that they've been... And the other funny thing is... is Verizon said at the time they were going to use uh, what I like to malign the millimeter wave spectrum to reach 30 million homes. Now they're going to reach 2 million homes with the millimeter wave spectrum. And now, but now their wireless broadband is, is, has been um, shifted to C-band. So that's about as big a pivot as you need to see away from millimeter wave to C-band and to mid-band spectrum. They went from 30 million homes passed to two for millimeter wave. So This is very loud outro music. I love it though. I I, I actually didn't mean for it to be quite so loud. I mean, that was that was a faux pas, but it not, is what not it is. a not a smooth transition. No, I just I didn't re- I, I didn't realize I jacked it up. It's my fault. Does this take us to back to the engagement somehow? How does this tie in? Or is this just good tunes? I think this is it an does. engagement. This is definitely white wedding. Oh, shotgun! What? That there oh, is no wedding. shotgun. There. White wedding. <laughs> it is a really good fucking song, though. I still didn't get an answer on what emojis Lois texted you when she found out that you finally got the job done. She was mad at me because I wouldn't let her post it to Facebook for a couple of days when I wanted to actually tell the people I care about, you know, one to one, as opposed to just like putting a post, letting her put a post out there. So you put and, on embargo. You embargoed it. Yeah, no, I embargoed it, and yeah. she was upset. So, so, Eric would never do that. Eric would just say, go ahead, Mom, Eric blast was, it out. Yeah, I just wouldn't give a shit. We got to get to an AT&T analyst day. That's episode yep. 47, everyone. Goodbye. See you for it's episode 48 next nice week. day for a white wedding. White wedding. <laughs> it's a Bye. nice day to be.